I don't care if you've got a good boss, a bad boss, or somewhere in between. If you can't learn something from them, you're not trying. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth, accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Coach Phillips, welcome to The Competitive Mindset. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful evening. You know, we can't see the sun, but uh, in Wisconsin anyway, we have great weather. It's 90 in South Dakota, which there's not many of those left, so we're good. Beach weather. Yeah. No beaches, though. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to use your imagination, right? Yep. All right, Coach, take us through your journey and how it's led you to where you are now in Northern State. I grew up in Reedsburg, Wisconsin, small town in South Central Wisconsin. And I loved hoops from the get-go. Uh, I was had really supportive parents. My dad liked football better than basketball, but that didn't affect anything. I just was drawn. I, I played football as well, but enjoyed basketball more. And when it came time to go to college, uh, I I really wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to coach, and I was so extremely fortunate that. 90 miles away in Platteville, Wisconsin, Bo Ryan was coaching Division Three basketball, which if you saw me stand up, you'd understand why I played D3. Uh, I didn't choose D3. D3 chose me. From the moment I sat down with Coach Ryan, I knew that he was the guy that was going to teach me how to be a coach. And that was always a long-term goal. My dad owned a hardware store, and I wasn't very good at anything hardware-related. So, uh, yeah, I... Followed my dream down to UW-Platteville, which at the time was very affordable. And I played very poorly for five years there, but I was part of a national championship team and we went undefeated my senior year. But above it all, the underlying goal was to learn how to coach from Bo Ryan. And uh, I got lucky because I got done with uh, playing there. I got a GA job at a school called uh, Wayne State College in Wayne, Nebraska. And the coach there happened to be Greg McDermott, who's at Creighton now. And I was there for one year. Greg asked me if I wanted a full-time job. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, good, you're working for my brother brother now Mm -hmm. in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. So I was up at Lake Superior State for two years. And that's Mm -hmm. when Bo got the job at UW-Milwaukee. And uh, I was fortunate enough to snag a spot on his uh, staff. And from there, he got the job at Wisconsin. And the next thing you know, I'm 27 years old and I'm the director of basketball operations at Wisconsin. Was there for three years, but really missed the coaching. And one of my buddies that I had met when I was at Wayne State was Tim Miles, who was at North Dakota State. I was there for three years with him as an assistant. And he, we win a bunch of games, uh, despite all odds, in our maturity level. And... Uh, I'm the head coach at North Dakota State at age 33 years old. I was there for seven years as the head coach, made two NCAA tournaments, 
uh, got the job at Ohio University, was there for five years, was not renewed, which is a really nice way of saying you're fired, get out of here. This job opened up at Northern State here. I've been here three years or two years, starting my third. It's a terrific Division II program that we've won a whole bunch of games and had a lot of fun and probably should have won the national championship last year, but I'm not bitter about it, so I'll let it go. All right. Well, I want to dive into a few things you mentioned there. You briefly mentioned from a young age, you knew you wanted to coach. Can you elaborate on that? And if there's one moment where it kind of clicked for you that you knew coaching was something you wanted to get into? Well, when I was a kid, I just idolized Bob Knight. I thought he was the coolest thing in the world. And I think at that time, uh, most college basketball fans probably did. I wanted to be Bob Knight. I, I, I really don't fit that personality type at all. But the, the idea of being a highly successful coach just appealed to me from the beginning. The hardware store was in my family for three generations, and I knew that I couldn't do that from day to day and be successful at it. I, I wasn't driven that direction. So when I knew I wanted to go a different direction, I, I knew coaching was what I wanted to do. And remember those those hokey little uh, surveys you used to fill out when you were a kid with, uh, you know, what what is your profession going to be? And it, You'd fill out the survey. What do you like to do? What do you like to? And it'd come back and I'd be like, you should be a firefighter or a underwater welder or whatever. And I'd be, I'd crinkle it up and be like, I don't be a basketball coach. So probably an irrational uh, belief that that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And shoot, I'm 48 now and I haven't done anything in my life other than coach basketball. I'm a pretty lucky guy. Well, some something to be said for pursuing your dreams. And sticking with it, because some people get bucked off that path fairly quickly as soon as they see a little bit of adversity. And so the counter to adversity is a lot of success. So you mentioned briefly, and you didn't quite shine the light on your undefeated national championship season, which is a huge success. And that shouldn't go unstated. But I'm curious, in that season, if you had fears or worries as you got to the postseason, knowing you were undefeated and it could be the loss that ends that streak. And what were things that maybe the coaching staff or your teammates did to help move through that potential fear that you may have experienced, or maybe you had ultimate confidence? Can you, you elaborate know, well, on we, that a bit? We were young and dumb. We just thought we were going to keep winning forever. And uh, we were pretty good. I mean, that that entire season, boy, Bo had a bunch of great coaching jobs, but that might have been his best in terms of, you know, you're undefeated. We played eight games all year or no, four games all year that were decided by less than eight points. So it wasn't just winning. It was winning pretty big. And honestly, I don't think we spent a lot of time thinking about the end. We just thought about coming back the next day, and we liked each other a lot. We liked playing together a lot. And, uh, yeah, I, there, there there wasn't any magical speech. That, that's the biggest misconception about my profession is that, you know, movies, it's always one magical speech that changes everything around. Uh-uh, no, it's coming to work every day and doing your job and, and getting it as good as you can get it. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of always thought we were going to win the whole damn thing. And lo and behold, we did. But we had some really good players. There's no question about that. But, boy, we were taught well. And, and we were smart enough to listen despite our youth. And, uh yeah, I, I will say this, that if you go back and look at the history books, it wasn't me that carried us to a championship, but just to be part of something like that was, uh, you know, just special to watch and special to be a part of. And uh, if you go for one calendar year without losing, which we actually did this past year, thanks to COVID, 
thanks, kind of thanks. Uh, we got our postseason canceled two years ago. Thought we could have won the whole thing then. And then we ripped off uh, our first 15 games of the regular season this year. One calendar year without losing is a really fun time. And I've done been fortunate to do that twice in my life. So uh, that's that's unique. It's definitely unique. You are a unicorn in regards to winning and longevity with it. We could put it yeah. that way. Yeah, no, it did. Uh, like I say, this year was was pandemic aided. So I almost don't want to take it, but I'll take it. It's still yeah. fun. Absolutely. You take every W you can get because they're hard to come by. Yep. So we talked a little bit about college and playing success. I'm curious about the transition of how you perceive success in your mindset over the course of your career and how it's changed from maybe when you were young as a player to now where you are in your coaching career and what it means to you. Well, honestly, in coaching, success has to be winning or you don't get to keep your job. I mean, that that's that's all there is to it. But that being said, there are subsets within that that watching a kid improve. I mean, I'm watching a freshman class here that we're, we're 12 practices into our having this group together as they are. And I had a kid yesterday, it's a six, seven guard, pretty athletic, throws down two dunks in a practice. And I've been telling him, hey, get to the rim, throw a dunk. Watching, watching growth of student athletes, watching growth of uh, individuals and watching the group come together is I, I don't mean to sound corny but that that might that might be greater than anything else at this point but that being said you know what that leads to if, if they're doing that you're going to have the other success that you really like to have so there's no question that watching young people succeed and maybe surpass their expectations is paramount is probably the highlight I've always thought the most fun of coaching college basketball, when we made the NCAA tournament at North Dakota State and beat Oklahoma in the first round uh, as a 12 seed, to watch the joy on our guys' faces after the game was just ridiculously fun. As much fun as as taking the accolades yourself and doing all that stuff to, to seek to help kids accomplish their dream is the true motivation. And, if they do, you're going to have a lot of satisfaction yourself as well because it means you've accomplished goals. So uh, I think that's the that's the basis of it. So now your emotions when you go into a competition, whether it's a regular season game, postseason game, going into that game with your gut feeling, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning going into that competition? I am dead set sure that we're going to lose every game we play until the second the ball is tipped. And then I'm dead sure we're going to win it. And I can't explain why that is. I think you watch tape all week and you start to see ghosts on film of, you know, what's to come. And you get out there and you realize that, uh, you know what, maybe, maybe we're a little better than I was giving us credit for after nitpicking at us all week. And maybe, maybe they're not quite where we, thought they were but the the anxiety leading up to a game is excruciating and the relief once the game starts up and you actually get to have some small role in in what plays out is liberating it's it's terrific but as far as the fear of failure 
failure is a really broad word. I, I don't like losing. I never did. When I was a kid, I'd play basketball and drive away with my dad. I'd make him be Northwestern because it was the only team Wisconsin could beat back then. And my mom would come out in the driveway as I was throwing a temper tantrum if I lost and say, you got to make him lose better than that. He's going to grow up to be a monster. And uh, I never, never grew out of that. I, I'm a bear when I lose. I'm probably over happy when I win, but it's the pursuit of trying to win that keeps you going all week long. And it's fun. And it's, I, I've really tried not to let it affect my family, but I know that it does when I see my kids after a loss and they're just dead quiet and uh, like, no, no, nobody died. And they're like, yeah, but we lost. Well, okay. That's again, it, failure is a long-term thing. Losing is a whole nother deal and losing just sucks and it's never not going to suck. It just, it, there aren't many professions. Doctors don't go into the hospital and say, well, I lost one today. You know, there's no ledger for how other professions, my dad didn't have a day at the hardware store where everybody in town knows how he performed his job last night. It's unique in that capacity and it does affect you. It does, but I don't know any other way. I just, I'm growing up that way. It's just the way it is. So I'm curious, you mentioned the anxieties going into the game, you know, and a bit of a fear thinking you're going to lose right up until tip. Think I'm gonna get killed. Thinking that? I'm going to get killed every game. Okay. So, so it's a, a drastic end of the spectrum. Have you developed any tools to try to help you get through that at all? Or is it always a drastic end of the spectrum every game? Just get to tip off. Once I get to tip off, I'm fine. I, uh, I walk and work out a lot during game days. You know, the the worst day as a coach is the hours leading up to a game. And that'll never change. Even if you're really prepared. I mean, I, I pride myself. We, we do a lot of work. But you just, you need to be going through crisis management. You need to be going through, okay, what happens if this doesn't work? How do we pivot out of this? How do we, so your, your mindset yeah, it, it can be, it, it's tough, but again, it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's also probably the most alive you feel all week and the most alive you're going to feel as a human being uh, if you're a coach. And if you're not a coach, you got no idea what I'm talking about and I can't explain it to you. But yeah, to not be able to eat, to not be able to settle down, to not be able to, and then it to all come together and take a deep breath when that first jump balls in the air and say okay listen control what you can control the hell of a way to live it's fun well let's continue on the fun path with basketball and and this is kind of kind of be a little bit weird but jason kemp is a common acquaintance of us and he mentioned something to me a play called egg yep tell me the origin of that and why you go that route Egg is for everybody get. So it's actually just EG, but it's when uh, everybody on the court screens for one guy that's got it going a little bit. The, the best thing I can do for my guys is keep things extremely simple. And if your only job in the world is to move the ball and screen for this one guy, that's about as simple as it can get. But yeah, we, uh, we don't have egg in yet this year, but we'll get it in eventually. Uh, pretty easy to put in. It. it takes about a half not even that 15 minutes uh i sit around all day long watching film and teaching kids how to play basketball and try to make them better 
but I've found throughout the years that usually it's the old, uh, what do they call it, Occam's razor? Is that the old uh, economy? Do you ever take economy classes in economics classes in college? Uh, yeah, uh, in 2005 at UW Lacrosse. It might have yeah. been too long ago for me to remember. No, you're too busy at Oktoberfest. But the uh, idea is the simplest solution is always the best. And boy, I'll tell you what, when when you're in overtime against Oklahoma or you got one possession left with the in the conference championship to go to the NCAA tournament, the last thing you want your guys is confusion on what they should be doing. We keep things pretty simple and uh you know, obviously try to get the most you can out of them, but my my time with our guys is practice. Uh, when it's game time, that's their time, and there are things I can control. But the worst teaching moments you can possibly have as a as a coach or as a manager of anything is when things are really heated. It's it's easy to teach when emotions are taken out of it. So if I'm going to do a film session before or after practice. There aren't a lot of emotions going into that. In fact, they probably just want to be done with it. But it is a chance for me to speak to them when they're calm or relaxed. So, yeah, keeping it as simple as you can for your guys. I made two NCAA tournaments at North Dakota State that came both came down to a last possession. And this is, you got to understand that for these kids, this is their only chance to get into an NCAA tournament. I had timeouts left in both of them, and both times, they knew what they should be doing, and I didn't take the time out. I didn't need to inject myself into the situation more than it needed to be. They knew what we would run if we were in that situation. And that again, that's my time of practice. That's when I can teach them, okay, this is how you can be successful. And I don't need to I, – I, I don't know if people understand this, but coaches don't get a bonus for special plays they draw up on their dry erase board during timeouts. Uh, if you haven't done it in practice already, you probably haven't practiced right. Yeah, that's a lesson I learned the hard way. Is if we haven't done it, I'm not going to try to draw it up and put it up in the middle of a game. That's just not yep. going to work. You, you can draw it up to remind them, but don't don't make something up on the fly. It's not going to work. Absolutely. So you just talked about something that you believe in as far as a coaching concept, and it doesn't necessarily have to be coaching, but something in life or in coaching that you previously believed to be true and that you've recently changed your mind about because you're presented with new information or something has changed. And so you additionally changed with the time. Do you have something like that that you could share with us? I think we all have with the, uh, in college coaching with the transfer portal and how we address that. I've always been a bring a kid as a freshman and develop them the whole way through. And I tried to do that at Ohio and the transfer portal got uh, more and more prevalent. And I watched a group of guys that I brought in as freshmen that replaced kids that transferred out to go to various schools, Michigan, Northwestern, Xavier. Uh, and the bottom line is, is that we just stayed young for the entire time I was there. So the perception change for me is that, okay, if I lose a kid in the transfer portal, I better bring one in the transfer portal. Uh, that is of a similar class. So we don't stay young forever. And that is a vast departure from the way I did it my first 12 years of my career. 
it's a vast departure from the way that I learned it from Bo and Greg Dermott and some other great coaches, uh, Tim Miles. But at the same time, you listen, this is the reality. I can like it or not like it, but it's not going to change how it works. I have got to be active in terms of seeking out, replacing kids that leave with kids of similar age so we don't stay young forever. So, yeah, that's been a major revelation in the last two years. Yeah, something that we may not have seen coming, but it's here, so we have to adjust with it. Well, then you throw in the the extra year with COVID. No, I mean, I had a kid that was expecting his graduation to occur or his eligibility to expire, and he transfers to another school. And all of a sudden, he's got another year. Okay, well, this past year has taught us a lot about flexibility and how to how to try to you know it's it's okay to tell your players that you don't know the answer to this you know they'd ask me well are we are we going to play this weekend honestly i don't know and we were lucky enough to get a whole bunch of games in but it, it was unsettling as heck and for any coach certainly some part of their dna is control freak uh, and to have none of that be possible was really, really hard. And hopefully you learn from it going forward and you pivot from it going forward. It can help you going forward. But I know for one year, we certainly had to be as flexible as we could. All right, let's shift gears a bit. And you've mentioned a few people here, but can you tell me about a mentor that you've had in your life and a lesson that you learned from them that you use on a regular basis? Oh, there's a lot of them. Certainly my father would have to be top of the list. And with him just encouraging me to to follow my dreams and, and you know, trust in your passion and, and what it is you want to do. It could have been real easy for him to say, no, you're coming back home to Reedsburg and running the hardware store. But that was never even thought of. You know, my high school coach, Doc Kohler, who's passed away from cancer about 15 years ago, taught me a very important lesson early, and it wasn't a real complicated one, but that's make the gym available, make opportunities available for kids that really want to get better. Bo Ryan, I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, literally the the core of everything I do basketball wise from valuing the basketball to trying to get to the free throw line to be efficient. But I mean, we could write a book on that subject from Greg McDermott, you know, he, his kid, Doug McDermott, who ended up being a pretty good player himself, who was a four-year-old when I was there. And I got to watch him raise and care for a young family as he went through coaching and, to see the love that he provided them and to understand that there's the stereotype out there that being a good father and a good husband doesn't mesh well with the coaching profession. That was just smashed right there. And I saw it up close. I used to babysit Doug on Sundays when they go out for him and his wife go out for a date and just beat his ass one-on-one. -on -one. Now he was four, but he couldn't get a shot off on me. And now he's in the NBA. So he's got to deal with that. So yeah, there, there was, you know, the, that moment, there was uh, Timmy Miles, who is literally the only Tim Miles in the world, one of the most unique individuals in terms of just his, the way he presents himself, the way he, he, he doesn't fit the cookie cutter for any college coach. 
and to kind of understand that as I get along in this profession, I've got to find my own voice and and do what feels right for me, or it's going to come across as inauthentic or fake. So, listen, I don't care if you've got a good boss, a bad boss, or somewhere in between. If you can't learn something from them, you're not trying. I mean, there's so much out there that everything is a teachable moment if you're paying attention. But I've been exposed to a lot of people that provided me with really positive, teachable moments, and I'm grateful for that. There's no question about that. But underlying in all this whole thing and in you know, kind of my voice where it comes from, I'm really lucky to do what I do. And there was no reason that a 5'11 kid from Reedsburg should be able to make a career coaching college basketball and at times make ridiculous amounts of money and at every time make enough to, to be able to support a family. Do I'm lucky. And when things are really, really tough and things are really, really a grind, I can still step back and say, listen, buddy, time to cut out the wine. And if I would have told my fourth grade self that wanted to be a college basketball coach, if this is the way it was going to go, I would have taken that deal and run like crazy. So it's been good. Yeah, the perspective is important. So let's talk about the future a bit. Tell me about some upcoming projects that you have that you have a motivation and you're excited with. Well, I got, I've literally got one overriding goal out here as to win a national championship division two level out here. And I this job for several different reasons, but the biggest reason is is that I thought we could win a national championship here. So that's 90% of my day. I could tell you I'm trying to shave two strokes off my handicap, but that isn't going very well. I'm always obsessed when I take a job at what can be done there that hasn't been done. And here, last year for a big chunk of the year, we were ranked number two in the nation. We won our conference championship for the fourth year in a row, and all that is well and good, and it's been wonderful, and I've loved every second of it, but we lost in the Sweet 16 last year after fouling out five players in a, I could say this in this podcast, in a horribly officiated ball game, (laughs) not that I'm bitter, and that's fuel, that is and it might not get done this year. It might not. But the goal here is to win a national championship. That has been absolutely 100% my professional project. Now, you're also trying to raise kids. I've got a daughter that's going to be going to college next year. I'm trying to stay out of way for, uh, for her decision in terms of she's smarter than I am, so she can go wherever she wants. I've got a youngest son who enjoys uh, hunting quite, quite a big deal, and we've got the best pheasant hunting in the world out here. And I don't know a darn thing about that. So I'm trying to figure out a little bit about that stuff. When I get done with this podcast, which, spoiler alert for everybody doing, we're doing this at nine o'clock at night, I'll go out and watch film in the effort to try to get us to the point where whether it be this year, the next year, or the year after that, we can win a national championship. And the decisions I make during the course of my day, the things that I do in the course of my day, that is kind of the the backbone of everything we do Uh, doesn't mean you can't have fun and can't distract yourself once in a while, but there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not trying to figure out a way that we can get our guys to a national championship here. That's, that's my project. That's it. It's simple. It's very hard to, very hard to achieve, but a lot of fun. 
Well, I love the laser focus. And you said it's simple. You have one goal that you're going after, and it kind of goes back to the egg concept, right? Everybody get yeah, keep it, yeah, keep, it keep it simple. The the I've always looked at coaches that have these big overriding mottos and all that stuff is, you know what, we're making this too complicated. Just get better day after day after day. And uh, it's very much the Bo Ryan in me. I think Paul Christ has that same philosophy with Wisconsin football, where honestly, none of this is about me. It, it doesn't matter how well I coach. If I haven't taught them well enough before we take the court, my job you get way too much praise when it goes well and way too much blame when it doesn't. My job, the the crux of it is in an empty gym with 15, 16 guys and uh, some assistants. And that's where the magic happens. That's where you're either going to get good enough to do it or fall short. All right. I'm going to get you out of here on a fun question so you can go watch some more film here as it sounds like you're going to do when we get done here. So I need you to use your imagination a bit and I need you to imagine a refrigerator and you're staring at the refrigerator with the door open. What one item inside that refrigerator best represents who you are as a person and why? Oh boy, that's hard. The baking soda in the back that makes it not smell so funky. I hope, I hope that would be my job. I hope I, I hope I make the people in my life feel better about themselves, get better. I don't need to be a staple of their diet. I don't need to be the most, I don't need to be the, the steak that we're looking forward to eating, but hopefully I make it the whole situation a little more pleasant when you're looking in there. And I think it's baking soda that doesn't make it smell. Is that what they do in there? I, I think it is. I don't know. That, that's, that's my answer one way or the other, whether I'm completely factually accurate or not, that's kind of how I operate. Anyway. So yeah, I, Listen, I, I, I hope I hope I never get to the point where I take myself or what I do on a daily basis too serious. I get to work sorts of work every day. I get to help young men who are having not real life problems, but college problems for a majority of the problems. And I'm not saying there aren't real problems during the course of their days. They you know, you lose grandparents, you lose loved ones, you you deal with that stuff. That's real. But a majority of what they're dealing with seems a lot more important to them right now than it actually will be long-term. I, I don't know what you went through in college. All I know is what I thought was a stressful day in college would be a bottom five stress day in my life uh, after college because you're dealing with much more real things. So yeah, if I could just make it a little more pleasant for everyone in the refrigerator, that'd be fine for me. Beautifully said. Well, thank you for coming on Competitive Mindset and thank you for the time and sharing with us. You bet. Take care. Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.